Welcome to the Audible Insights Podcast, brought to you by the Insights Association, the leading voice of market research, and hosted by David Paul, CEO of Engages, and an expert in research-driven messaging, content, and stories. Hey everyone, this is David Paul, CEO of Engages. This episode of Audible Insights was recorded at CES in Las Vegas, where I talked with Chris Clegg, president of Portland Marketing Analytics. Chris and I attended CES along with the Insights Association, where we took in both the research summit and the show floor. In this conversation, we discuss what we learned, what new innovations to keep an eye on in the coming year, and the value of CES to those of us who work in market research and insights. Check it out. Well, hey, Chris, it's good to be talking with you. We're both here at um, CES, and we came in uh, a day early for the research summit. Have I love you... it. It's, we're lucky that they do it. I know. Have you been to the research summit? I hadn't. Well, I, I, I take that back. I was, I was at the research summit without knowing I was there a couple of years ago because I came in early because the flights were cheaper, and I was wandering around, huh. and I didn't really appreciate what was happening. But, you know, it's the Insights Association creating this uh, this tour, this this guided approach that kind of helped me organize CES and make the experience better. So that was that was cool. And this year I knew what I was doing. This year I was here with a purpose and saw it on purpose. Yeah, and I've actually I've been here two times prior, but this time uh, the organization of what the Insights Association brought to us really really helped because they laid out the schedule totally. for day one and the research summit. Yep. And then even today with, with Art Flanagan going around to uh, the, con- the Las Vegas Convention Center and tomorrow we'll hit Sands and uh, they've done a really good job of organizing it. And even for those of us who've been here before, uh, adding a new spin to it, adding value for us. Yeah, absolutely. And I loved the fact that he was jumping around the floor um, finding things that were cool or interesting or relevant and then sending out text messages saying, hey, make sure you don't miss this, check out that, because there's so much going on here, any kind of direction is worthwhile and that was certainly worth it. Yeah, for sure. Well, anyone listening here I think is gonna be really curious about what we learned in the research summit specifically. What were some of your big takeaways? You know, I really enjoyed the, uh, the presentation yesterday, which kind of opened it up as, you know, where is consumer tech and what's going on with consumer tech? And they summarized it as 20 years of consumer tech with 10 years uh, over what's happened over the last 10 years and what's happening over the next 10 years. And uh, they talked about the last 10 years being focused on connecting our devices or the objects that we engage. And the next 10 years about integrating intelligence into those uh, connections and what that means at a macro level, uh, why it's possible, how the rollout of 5G makes that even conceivable, that in the next 10 years, we're gonna start to really see and appreciate the impact of that and, uh, and, and what that's gonna mean to farming technology, to global health, to the production of food, uh, all the way down to you know, how I engage my light bulbs in my home and how my idea of connected home is gonna move to the next level. And that's, I'm all in, man, that's exciting. Yeah, no, I thought that session was really interesting, too. It was hosted by um, Steve Koenig, who's the VP of Research for the Consumer Technology Association, which puts on CES. Um, his points about 5G were really interesting. You know, that's a topic that's on everybody's mind. And the fact that he said that while it's definitely going to become a reality this year, it's the first network that's really being driven by the enterprise. And he did mention farming specifically, which I thought was really interesting about how that kind of bandwidth and that kind of speed and capability is going to allow farmers to do things that they've never been able to do before. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's about it's about efficiency and running a smarter business, but it's about the um, the smarter production of food. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think there's uh, there are a number a number of global challenges that are coming uh, from a variety of of sources and. Uh, our ability to efficiently produce food is is becoming more and more important, and and the ways in which and the resources available to the farmer because of five G is uh, is mind blowing, blowing, yeah. and, and it's and it's uh, yeah, it's awesome, it's good stuff. Speaking of food, I'll go off on a tangent, and then we'll come back to the research summit. Um, I tasted my first Impossible Burger. <laughs> I've had them before. Today. Yeah. Have you had them before? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'd never had one, okay. um, not for any particular reason, just never had the opportunity. Yeah. And they're here, Impossible. Yeah. They have, and they did a partnership with White Castle. So they had little tiny White Castle okay. Impossible okay. Burgers, tried it for the first time. And I was really surprised by just, yeah. you know, how good it was. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think for either for those who can't eat beef or choose to not eat it, I think it's a real alternative. And even for someone like me who eats plenty of meat, um, for health reasons, if I wanted to curb that and not give up some of the things that I like the most, like a like a cheeseburger, I think it's a viable alternative. Yeah, they're um, I, I've had it before. I didn't have it here, and uh, they they nailed that for sure. I heard there's a, a pork product they're coming out with also, or pork. Not pork, but a pork right. a pork substitute. Did you taste that or no? They didn't that? have that. Is yeah. that going to be to like substitute bacon or sausage stuff like that? I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah no, they weren't showing. That. We'll see but what they come up with. Anyway. It's uh, it's good stuff. Yeah. So, ba- all right, so back to the research summit. Um, another interesting thing Steve talked about was, of course, streaming. Um, all the different streaming services that are out today. Yeah, yeah. I think tomorrow we're going to be able to hear from Quibi, which is a new streaming service that's going to come out later this year that's yeah. supposed to be all about bite-sized pieces of content. Yeah. Five, 10, maybe 15 minutes. Yeah, and, and, and that, that bite-sized pieces of content are episodic. Like they're, they're creating episodes, uh, serial TV, but in very small chunks. Yeah. And considering the people who are behind it, Jeffrey Katzenberg and others, you have to think they know how to tell stories. So I'm kind of fascinated to see what they can do with it. But then I've heard other people speculating, especially this week, that for everyone who's cord cutting and getting rid of their cable services and and signing up for the lower cost individual streaming services, how long is it going to be before we're right back up to what we paid for cable by paying for all of the different streaming services that we want. Yeah, I might be there. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think when you, I mean, we, I, I, we, the household subscribes to Sony View and that runs us 60 bucks a month. That's actually going out of business, which is interesting. Yeah. But that's 60 bucks a month plus, yeah, Hulu, Netflix, HBO, um, there's one or two, Amazon, Amazon Prime is not, it's kind of the best offer. Uh, mm-hmm. It's pretty cheap, but, but yeah, those all add up to the to the hundred bucks I was spending before. Yeah, but yeah, and then the last thing um, Steve talked about at the research summit was the notion of flying cars, yeah, and uh, these electric unmanned uh, vehicles that will be able to take off and land on a dime and transport people around. Yeah, um, commercially probably more than consumer based, but yeah. it seems like we're inching closer and closer to reality. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I, I heard a, uh, a discussion around that that was very assertive about the futures coming and, the, and that that's coming because the, um, the, the engineers and the, the technology companies that are building them, they learned early on from the problems with the ride-sharing 
deployments that you need to partner with the cities early on from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And by partnering from the beginning, uh, they were able to work through, or are, are able to work through regulatory uh, issues much more efficiently than ride sharing was over the last however many years. Yeah. Um, and so that was a really interesting argument around why it's going to work and why we're going to see it. And then somebody else countered that with, um, it's not going to come around. It's not feasible. And, and that you may see uh, an increase in the accessibility of helicopter-like services, but it's not going to replace the ground cars simply because of the physics around air displacement and noise and, uh, and uh, what it takes uh, physically to launch and return an aerial vehicle. And that those will become barriers of reality that we won't overcome and it won't be something that we see in the future. So it, I, I heard really good arguments around both realities being possible and, yeah. and uh, we'll see. Well, there's also just organizing the chaos up there. The more vehicles you have up in the air, it's not like the Jetsons where everything miraculously goes in a straight line. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think that's also going to be a, a major hurdle is just how to organize that as more and more vehicles take to the sky. Totally, totally. Yeah. You were telling me before we started recording uh, about the P&G session yeah. that you made too that I wasn't able to hear about. And uh, you were really impressed with stories that they were telling around their Oral-B brand. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so so Oral B they had a they have a mission as a company to improve uh, oral hygiene, and I was surprised by some of the stats they put out there around the level to which oral hygiene is a problem for people uh, around the world, and and even very close to home. So here in, here in the states, uh, they said that twenty five percent of us are going to lose all of our teeth by the time we're sixty five years old, which I was found shocking. Yeah, um, me and, too. And they described that as not only a health issue because the, losing your teeth is the symptom of of other problems, but they also described they also talked about the idea that you know when that people equate someone missing teeth with their IQ, and how that's a obviously an unfair assessment, but the impact to the person who's dealing with tooth loss. It's significant. It, it has a, a very immediate effect on their quality of life socially and also with their careers. And so it's, it's, a, it's an issue on multiple fronts. Uh, they also described that in the UK, they said that the most common uh, hospital admittance for kids the ages of 6 to 11 is dental extraction. I also found pretty fascinating. So I guess oral health is an issue. And, and they said, we don't brush our teeth right. They said the common, typical consumer brushes their teeth for 45 seconds once a day. And dentists say that we need to be brushing twice a day for two minutes. Now, I can honestly say that I've been brushing twice a day for at least, uh, I would say, greater than a minute, if not two minutes. But um, I, I got an electronic toothbrush for the first, first time earlier, this, earlier last year, uh, the Quip toothbrush. Mm -hmm. And I love it. And it kind of trains me to, to do it for the full two minutes a little bit more. And, and Oral-B is coming out with a toothbrush that's also focused on training consumers to have better oral hygiene. But it's, it's taking things much further than what Quip was doing. They're, they're looking at um, the frequency, certainly, and the duration. But they're also looking at the pressure and coverage. So I guess there's a certain ideal pressure and there's a certain coverage around the mouth. And all that's uh, there's, there's some real-time feedback while you're brushing your teeth and how you're doing in those areas. And that's all being synced to your app. And, uh, and it's recording over time what you're doing. It's keeping a log of your, of your hygiene practices. And there's a couple cool things that came out of it. Um, uh, one thing was the implications to data and, and, and the market research 
that we're used to when it comes to shopper marketing because all product design is solving problems. And so market research, as market researchers, we're focused on identifying what those problems are and then using that to advise the engineers and creatives to build products that solve it. And uh, the, uh, the thing that they're getting, P&G's getting now from this data logging around frequency, pressure, uh, coverage, and duration is a lot of the stuff that you used to get through the diaries and the focus groups and people coming into a lab and brushing their teeth and letting that be recorded. And then you had a data scientist or a market researcher would, would uh, code that observation and that would be analyzed and trends would be spotted and that would affect product features. And, and a lot of that is now automated in real time because of the way this device is recording, uh, is recording the activity. Um, the thing that I thought was really cool, they, they had mentioned that they still need the IDIs. They still need to be able to understand with an in-depth interviews uh, why people are, are behaving in a certain way. So if, they're, if their practices don't align with the theories that the features were built based on, they don't have an answer as why. And so this market research still plays a role, but a lot of the instrument bias or interviewer bias or certainly the expense um, a lot of that's been streamlined with, with the application of, of, uh, of these smart devices. And, and one thing that really struck me uh, was they, they, have a, they have a screen, a small little screen on the toothbrush that if you do it all right, if you get the pressure right and you hang in there for two minutes um, and you got the coverage complete, they identified like 12 or 16 zones in the mouth that you need to be focused on. If you get all that right, you get a smiley face, right? <laughs> And my first reaction to that was that was stupid, right? And that isn't that kind of representative of the silliness of tech. But then the then the presenter mentioned that you know it's people don't change behaviors because of what they know; they change behaviors because of how they feel. And by anthropomorphizing the toothbrush, they were able to present that very simple warming validation that acknowledges the effort put forth to take care of yourself. And that creates this very simple, quick, subtle dynamic of validation that is enough to change behavior. And if that's changing behavior, like uh, the one-fourth of us that are going to lose our teeth or the, uh, the six to 11-year-olds that are in the hospital for dental extractions, if that's the result of that, then that doesn't seem so silly. That seems kind of cool. And that's, that, that all kind of struck me. And, and, I, and I really found... Uh, I found that as a micro example of how tech is can can improve life to be um, to be exciting. Yeah. 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 No, I think that's really interesting. And there's a lot of behavioral science at play yeah. in that whole notion of feedback. And it reminds me of another product on the market. Um, it's called Shapa, and it's a scale that was developed by Dan Ariely, from a behavioral science professor from Duke University. He wrote the book Predictably Irrational. You've probably okay. seen that. Yeah. Um, but what's unique about that scale is that there are no number. There's no screen on it, and it doesn't give you any numbers at all. It takes your 10-day average weight, and then it represents to you in colors how you're doing. Huh. So if you're holding steady, you're green. And if you start to gain a little bit, you go light gray, and then eventually you may go dark gray, or you end up going like teal blue, and then you go blue. But with each of those color changes, you're getting encouraging messaging 
along with it, along with some practical advice about, you know, looks like you, you, it looks like you might be headed in the wrong direction. Here are some things that you could do to make some positive change. Let's get you back in the green zone. Yeah. So there's no focus on numbers. There's no focus on shame. Um, and I think that's something right along with that smiley face. It's like anyone who brushes their teeth with that toothbrush, no matter how jaded they are, they're going to look at that screen when they're done and they're going to see if they got yeah. that smiley face or not. Yeah. And that's what they said. They said all the features that this thing provides. And, and I guess if you got the pressure right, it's going to give you a white color around the, the rim of the toothbrush. And if you pressure too hard, it's, uh, I think an orange. And if it's, if it's, uh, or if it's, if it's too light, it's white. If it's too hard, it's orange. And if it's just right, it's green, something like that. And all these different features around the, the app. And, and they seem like they nailed a lot of stuff and people loved it. They thought it was great. And they talked about those features being very applicable, but they said in their, in their testing, the most common thing that was brought up was a smiley face. Um, that was the most frequent thing that, that consumers had mentioned in their testing that they liked about the toothbrush. And it was about, um, it was about seeking, I hate to say it this way, it's about seeking the toothbrush's approval. <laughs> it was about getting that validation, the smiley, like the, the effort of doing it right so that it would give you that feedback, yeah, which is interesting. It's pure psychological play. Yeah, pure, pure. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's hard to change behavior. It's, yeah. uh, I mean, in marketing, we talk about in order for people to do things differently, it's got to be easy, it's got to be cool, and it's got to be fun. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a similar kind of conversation around those same things. And, uh, and it's not easy. And if this is stuff that's going to help us live healthier and improve our lives and truly see uh, an evolution of our quality of life because of technology, why would you not embrace that? Well, and that's also what's gratifying about the work that we do because most people wouldn't think about a toothbrush beyond oral care, keeping your teeth clean, not getting cavities, not losing your teeth. But then there's that whole layer beyond that that you just talked about where the social impact of your life kicks in when you start losing teeth or when your, your teeth start to get yellow and nasty looking. And um, that has a whole quality of life impact yeah. that can unfairly affect your ability to earn an income and your ability to have social status. And most people don't think about that when they think about toothbrushes. Yeah, totally, totally. And, and, and for a company like P&G and the resources they represent, uh, for them to play a role in, in addressing and managing something that is, uh, is an opportunity for good, kudos to them. Yeah. You know, kudos to them. Yeah. Good stuff. I know you spent a little bit of time on the CES show floor today. Anything in particular jump out at you? You know, I was... I. I liked seeing, there were some companies I hadn't seen before, so I liked seeing Delta there. So Delta was doing a lot of stuff, and they, mm -hmm. they were showing an exoskeleton of uh, somebody moving around, I think, 150 pounds with no effort. It was wild. Uh, and, uh, and, and so uh, about workplace safety and baggage handlers and, and what kind of things around moving cargo, where they play a role. And, you know, at first glance, I would think about Delta as having a weird It'd be weird for them to be here, but after seeing their footprint and seeing the stuff that they were doing, um, you're surprised there's not more people like them here because their opportunity to deploy technology in ways that make uh, their not only their business easier but their business nicer for for consumers is extensive. From check-in to to the waiting period to how they communicate information around flight status to uh, being on board and what the onboard experience is like and. Uh, and to their to baggage handling and those kinds of things, and, and we certainly know that uh, the airline industry in the United States has a lot of work to do to to uh, improve the uh, the user experience and 
and Delta seemed to be on top of that from a technology perspective. Yeah, no, I, I noticed them as well, and I was actually talking with one of their PR people for a couple of minutes today, and I was asking them, genuine curiosity, what are you guys doing here? Because most yeah. people wouldn't think of an airline at a consumer uh, you know, technology conference. And in addition to the exoskeleton, which was just incredibly cool to see, um, they also talked about how one of their big areas of focus being driven from the CEO's office down is kind of the door-to-door, end-to-end travel experience, yeah. not just on board, and it touches on some of the things you just mentioned, but it also gets into potential things like door-to-door baggage, where you could have your luggage picked up at your house, um, and then you could have it delivered to your destination huh. for you oh, yeah. and not even have to deal with it interim in between. So they're really trying to figure out, they use the words, take the stress and take the chaos out of travel and just give you a much more comfortable door-to-door experience. Yeah, that's cool. That's And that's cool. all technologically driven. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the TVs are always fascinating. They're, they're always getting bigger, higher resolution uh, the way that they can um, recess into a, a cabinet or into the wall, those, those are just fascinating to see. I mean, it, it's, and, and I like their, because um, you kind of think to a like where how far can sound and television go? You know what I mean? What's, what's, the, what's the pinnacle of, of engineering for those products? And, uh, and what I've started to hear this year, was um, was interesting because it first of all that that was even being discussed or addressed, and and when it came to the visuals and what a TV presents, the idea was you know let's get the let's get the TV experience to be an exact replication of what the director intended, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So let's remove all of the things that the technology is contributing that's taking away from what the director intended you to experience as a viewer of their work. And then the same was true with sound. Um, let's let's bring sound to the level that even though it was recorded uh, pri- previously, years before maybe, how can you replicate that experience perfectly based on what the artist intended? And and it, and Sony was talking about a uh, Sony. I think it was called 360 Sound or Sony 360 something. And uh, and and the the discussion was interesting because it really had a lot to do with. This idea that when we when we're experiencing a concert or we're experiencing a, 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 at a music venue, there is not one source of sound coming to you. You've got the crowd around you and the ambient noise it represents, and and the emotional swings of the crowd, and then you've got the stage and how the stage is organized, the drums in back, the vocals up front, the speakers and how the speakers are laid out, the the musicians on uh, flanking the the singer who's in the center, and uh, and. The way all of that lays out, it creates a certain experience at a live venue that unless recorded with this 360 perspective in mind, it's very difficult to replicate. But, uh, but Sony is doing stuff to, to recreate that, to, to deliver a, uh, a higher end um, sound experience. So, so that idea of you know, let's get it to the point where it's what the artist intended, let's get it to the point where it's what the director intended that seemed to be a, a nice endpoint um, right. for, for where they're going with stuff. Except, and, of course, there can't be an endpoint, right? There's yeah, they got to be something yeah. after that. Yeah, it'll, it'll get thinner. It'll get less expensive. It'll get uh, 
maybe bigger perhaps, yeah. but. Uh, well, I was fascinated today by flexible screens and how those are coming such a long way, whether it's to power, uh, you know, like a folding smartphone, which uh -huh. I think will be great yeah. because you then get to enjoy the benefit of a larger bit of real estate on your phone, but you can still shrink it down and put it in your pocket. Yeah. But there were also just these individual flexible uh, panels that you could twist and turn in every direction and the image just you know, maintained itself. And that kind of a, a product, even for, you know, public safety and, you know, and I would think in the medical field, along with, of course, for entertainment, yeah. um, not to have this rigid, flat, uh, you know, hard object that you yeah. can then still communicate visually on, I think yeah. it's fascinating. Yeah, that was cool. That That's very cool. I could see that for sure. I, I, I think on that, on that similar note is the idea of the heads up display in the cars mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's interesting. I, I haven't um, ever seen that. I haven't ever, ever experienced it. I certainly haven't driven a car that had heads up display in it. And one guy was talking about how they had integrated um, the ability in real time to show the lyrics of the song that's playing on the screen. And I, I don't know if I'm there yet. I don't, because I can look at a window or I can look through the window. Yeah. And uh, I don't know the degree to which a heads up display can be kind of consumed in the peripheral. And I've always thought that it was safer because you weren't taking your eyes off the road to look at something that was down on the dashboard. But, um, but and I could see that it was safer if it was in my peripheral vision, if I could, if it was giving me a general sense of go in that direction or do this. But if I have to read lyrics to have the experience they're intending, that can't be safe. Yeah, no, that can't be safe. I'm not, I don't know what I'm talking about, but it doesn't feel safe. No, it doesn't. And uh, I think, Part of the challenge is going to be, right now we look through a clear windshield, we have an unobstructed view, but we have the downside of having to look down at our dash for yeah. the information. Yeah. The flip side of that would be that all of the information is on the dash so that you don't have to look down, but now you don't have a clear unobstructed view anymore. And you've got all this data right in front of your face yeah. that's naturally distracting. Yeah. And they're going to clearly have to get that sorted out before yeah. it's I, practical and safe. i got to imagine the science of of awareness and attention and the use of colors and and how it's a, uh, a a clear presentation of information that you can see through the information itself versus not there's got to be a lot to it um but uh yeah that was that was an interesting an interesting one a, a couple of years ago i was wandering around the cars and there was discussion around the removal of the uh, side view mirrors and that that was something that was going to go away because it was so distracting to look to the side of the side view mirror, yeah. um, and and I still saw cars with side view mirrors this year. So I guess they're they're still figuring that part yeah, out. I haven't seen anything without side view mirrors, but yeah. I could see building that into the edges, maybe of your yeah. of your windshield. Yeah, that yeah. that's logical. That makes sense. Totally. Yeah, it's a, it's an interest. It's always interesting. There's so much going on here. There's so many vendors. Yeah. There's so many things happening, and uh, and everybody. There's some folks that have things that are really innovative and and unique thinking and then there's other things that are just kind of the masses of stuff for people showcasing a me too kind of thing it's an overwhelming experience if you don't have clear direction well that's true so i guess just to wrap this up a little bit being a very seasoned researcher yourself coming here uh, as part of the insights association excursion and what they uh, what they bring to the table for added value for that and what you took away. What are your thoughts on w whether you would do that again and how you might recommend that to others if they want to 
if they want to take in the CES experience. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly would recommend it. And I, I think if you are in market research or if you're in the data science, there's nothing more valuable than having the opportunity to connect with your colleagues in this kind of environment because it gives you the chance to have conversations like we're having now that allow us to really take what we're seeing and what we're learning back to our own practices and back to our own world. I remember in past years when I've been here with the Insights Association, uh, the themes have been things like, you know, we all want a butler. How can we, how can we improve the, the conveniences in our life and how, or increase the conveniences in our life and how all of the services and all the stuff that we see is around having that personal assistant um, or all the health related items were around having a personal health coach or having a personal nutritionist or all the things that uh, might be aspirational are becoming accessible through technology. And that was an insight that um, I didn't certainly come up with, but one of the, uh, the fellow attendees that were here with the Insights Association crew uh, put out there. And that started to become a paradigm of which I was observing everything I was looking at over the day or two afterwards. And then as I brought, as I went back to my own work and was talking to clients and, and looking at marketing campaigns, that became a paradigm that I would shift to, to think about, you know, how is this relevant? Is this, is this happening here? And then it, it allowed me to contribute in ways that I otherwise wouldn't have been able to and, and hopefully provide value to my clients because of that new thinking. And that's, that's the gold. I mean, I, I kind of figure that I got to come up with something new every six months or so to stay relevant to the people that, that decide to engage us. And, and that was certainly my, uh, my home run for that six month period. And so you come here to kind of get that enrichment in what we do and, and try to get that enthusiasm and, and being able to have a, 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 um, a guided uh, exposure to that, that the Insight Association provides is certainly very valuable. And, and I'd recommend it to somebody. I'd also add that CES in particular can be incredibly overwhelming because there's so much going on. And I think there's 4,500 vendors, there's 180,000 people that fly in from all over the world. And, uh, and it's not one location, it's, it's dozen uh, or, or close to a dozen locations around the city. And so if you don't have somebody who has curated uh, an experience that's relevant to you and the, and the practices that you're in, then it can be very difficult to do that yourself the first couple times at least. And, and that's a huge added value. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I think between starting off with the research summit, which is a great way to ease into it because it's the day before the convention opens. So it's much more quiet. A fraction of the people are around, but it's all highly focused on what we do. Uh -huh. And then to your point, I mean, what, there was someone in our group today who this was her first time coming. She's wanted to come for years. I think there was an intimidation factor around coming, uh, not really knowing how to navigate it and, and what to do when you're here. But this kind of gave her the confidence to say, okay, I'm gonna go check it out and, and these guys are gonna help me make the most of it. And so I think that if, if you've been curious about it and if you've been excited about it and you wanna check it out, um, I think this is this is the kind of excursion that can really really make it um, valuable for you. And uh, to your point, Chris, just getting out from behind your desk and, and yeah. immersing yourself in it and being able to spend time with colleagues, not even in a market research conference environment, but in, in a really different environment where we get out of our bubble and we get to have all of this stuff wash over us 
and then we get to figure out how to make sense of it and talk to each other about it and parse it out. I think that's tremendously valuable. Yeah, well said. I couldn't agree with you more. Chris, it's been great talking with you, and um, uh, we've still got a little bit more time here at the show, so I I hope you continue to get value from it, and um, thanks for giving us some time. Hey, it's a pleasure, David. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. You can find all our episodes by searching Audible Insights on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, and by visiting insightsassociation.org slash audible. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next time.